Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to True Radio Presents, the visible conservative Christians unleashed here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, the visible conservative himself. I want to welcome everybody to our new formatted broadcast of the visible conservative Christians unleashed here on True Radio Presents. And this is kind of a test show today in anticipation of our big one of many big interviews coming up tomorrow. 
we're interviewing Star Parker, great woman, great conservative, loves God, loves this nation. She has a phenomenal story. So, set back, relax, and now let's get into the headlines. Let's see. Wow. Wait a minute. Robin Williams died. Mr. Doubtfire. Wow, that's kind of crazy. But let's get right to our headlines. Break Ukraine's blockade a Duntesk as rebels vow another Stalingrad. Duntesk, Ukraine. As Kiev tightened the vice on the separatist stronghold of Dungtesk, surrounding the eastern city and cutting off supply routes and all roads in, the Kremlin floated plans to send a humanitarian convoy through to help embattle pro-Russian insurgents. With the pro-Russian separatists facing continuous pressure in the, new, in the now largely deserted city, that once held one million people, rebel commander Igor Strelkov, also known as Igor Gherkin, said the 5,000 separatists running the city are now on their own, although some rebels are calling for a ceasefire and order to spare the city from being destroyed by Ukrainian shelling. Others vowed that if invaded, Dunsk would become another Stalingrad, a reference to the 1942 battle in which Russians repealed Nazi forces to help turn the tide in World War II. But word that Moscow, which has already sent 20,000 troops to the border, border just two hours east of Donetsk, could send help, could signal the two sides are in for a long standoff. In doing so, Russian President Vladimir Putin would be defying previous warnings from the West that such a move would be seen as provocative. Shortly after the Kremlin statement was released in the form of a readout of a telephone call between Putin and European Commission Chief Jose Manuel Barroso, the office of Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko announced that he was on that call with President Obama. Residents continued to leave the city, and on Sunday, the, train, the city's only train station was the scene of intense jostling for tickets to Kiev and other major cities. Those who remain in the city will be forced to seek shelter from the ongoing assault or join the separatist ranks. Driving to Pennsylvania right now. I have a 
Where was I? According to one local source, some people leaving Donetsk en route to Kiev have been taken off trains and detained before reaching Kiev in order to prevent separatists from escaping and reaching the nation's capital. It's also possible that the artillery shelling could destroy the lying rail, rail lines altogether. Sporadic shelling has continued throughout the weekend, damaging buildings and, sh and shutting down electricity and water in some parts of the city. An additional assault by Ukrainian forces could prove to be the death knell of, this, of the separatist movement. But even though Ukrainian forces have the upper hand, approximately 20,000 Russian troops have amassed just across the border, some two hours east. Russian President Vladimir Putin, who has brazenly armed and equipped pro-Russian forces through the conflict, could possibly have the final say in how the current situation unfolds. surrounded or forced the issue with an invasion that could end the standoff quickly, but, a, but at a tremendous toll. After the weekend, it was clear that most residents who were not sticking around to see which option plays out. Also Monday, a Ukrainian security spokesman denied rebels' claims that government forces fired a rocket that exploded inside a high-security prison in Donetsk, causing a riot and more than 100 inmates to escape, including some jailed for murder and rape. Rebels routinely accuse government forces of using heavy artilleries in their campaign to retake Donetsk. But Ukrainian security spokesman Andrea Lysenko blamed the prison strike on separatist fighters. Bandits in Donetsk shell residential quarters and correctional facility number 124, he said. The New York Times reported that Sunday saw the government's most intensive bombardment yet of Donetsk as rebel strongholds in, the, in three districts of the city were targeted. According to City Council spokesman Maximum Ravinsky, at least one person was killed and 10 injured in shelling overnight as more than 10 residential buildings, a hospital, and a shop were heavily damaged in the fighting. Man. What are we going to do with Vladimir Putin? Yeah. Mr. Putin has some issues, folks. He has some serious issues, and the United States, under the current administration, don't have the balls to oppose him. So he's going to continue to do what he do when he does what he does. So what do you do? You stand firm in the face of adversity. You stand tall in the midst of it all. That's what you do. And you have to remain true to yourself regardless 
of how the situation seemed to be playing out. ISIL, whatever they calling themselves, have threatened to slider flag over the um, White House. Let's think about that one for a minute. I don't care if ISIL already have 10,000 jihadists here in America. One thing that those individuals are not realizing is this. There's 100 million armed Americans, fools. How you going to get around that? I forgot to mention Here at the Visible Conservative Radio Network, we're not politically correct. We're just correct politically, and we always come down on the right side of the issues. Now, Eiffel... One thing you have to understand is this. You will have to figure out a way to disarm 100 million Americans. And if you hurt one single American, whether or not you Muslim American or not, you will open the door to a slaughter a massacre. You're brutal. You don't know the wrath of people who have been targeted. That's my warning to you. It's 6.15 and I am going to play a couple of songs. Songs. Um, I'll be back. Radio present.
Welcome back to the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed here on True Radio. So, back to the headline. Dim disarray, Hawaii governor's loss points to voter remorse. Despite his 20 years in Congress and multiple terms in the State House and Honolulu City Council, voters in Hawaii delivered a staggering defeat Saturday to incumbent Democratic Governor Neil Abercrombie. The primary defeat was a first for a sitting governor in the state and revealed voters' dissatisfaction over a host of decisions and was also tied to some business. Democratic Party drama regarding the state Senate race against a virtually unknown state senator, David Engie, Abercrombie received just 32% of the vote. Every waking breath that I've taken, every thought that I had before I slept was for Hawaii, Abercrombie said in his confession speech. It was for you. Abercrombie's loss is tied to several decisions he made as a governor. He campaigned as an environmentalist, then approved multiple housing and retail developments on state agriculture land growing native crops. He raised taxes on hotel rooms, plastic bags, and retiree pensions. He lost the support of powerful teachers' unions when he approved a cut in pay. Whatever shortcomings I have, whatever faults that I have, I can guarantee you one of them has never been a failure to give all I can every day that I can for Hawaii, the 76-year-old governor said. Analysts say his biggest fault in this election was the choice he didn't make to appoint Representative Colleen Hanabusa to fill the seat of the late Senator Daniel Inouye. On his deathbed in 2012, Inouye asked Abercrombie in a letter to grant him one last wish, appoint longtime protege, Hanabusi to complete his Senate term. To almost everyone's surprise, Abercrombie ignored Inouye and appointed his lieutenant governor, Brian Schlitz, instead arguing that Schlitz could serve Hawaii longer because of his younger age, 41 to Hanabusa, 63. This in any way may have hurt the governor among Asian Americans. White voters represent just 30% of the island constituency, and Japanese Americans have the highest turnout rate in Hawaii. Both Inouye and, and Hanabusa are Japanese Americans. Shots and Abercrombie are white. The Hanabusa-Schatz race remained too close to call on Monday, with Schatz ahead just by 1,600 votes. But there is a wild card in the race. 
two precincts on the big island that officials shut down because of Hurricane and Seal. The two precincts in Puma contain some 8,000 registered voters, but based on 2010 results, fewer than 3,000 will vote unless the prospect of picking the likely next U.S. senator holds special appeal. Though power lines remain drawn and fallen trees are still block some roads, the two candidates are in Puna campaigning. This is about the people of the state of Hawaii, Shatz told reporters. This is about making the change that we need to make. This is about the kind of representation that we need in the United States Senate that doesn't divide people across the state, that doesn't focus on the negative, that doesn't focus on ways to split communities up, that doesn't think about opportunities to topple someone else. Shots outspent Hanabusa by two to one, an underdog role the Congresswoman played up on Sunday. This campaign has less money than you could possibly get, less of the mainland endorsements that you could possibly get, she said, that this campaign would bring it just to a short 1,800 votes. What kind of statement is that? It's an amazing statement. The Hawaii Elections Office mailed out ballots Monday and expects most of them back sometime next week. The state has 21 days to certify the results. Wow. It's really a lot of drama. But it is what it is. Excuse me, folks. My nose is killing me. But on to our next headline. Robin Williams has died, folks. Can't believe that. Here's one. The Drug Enforcement Administration paid an Amtrak secretary eight hundred wow, eight hundred and fifty four thousand four hundred and sixty dollars. Over 20 years, obtained confidential information about train passengers, which the DEA could have lawfully obtained for free through a law enforcement network the Associated Press has learned. The employee was not publicly identified except as a secretary to a train and engine crew in a report on the incident by Amtrak's Inspector General. The secretary was allowed to retire rather than 
face administrative discipline after the discovery. Employee had effectively been acting as an informant who regularly sold private passenger information since 1995 without Amtrak's approval, according to a one-paragraph summary of the matter. On Monday, the Office of Amtrak Inspector General Tom Howard declined to identify the secretary as say why it took so long to uncover the payment. Howard's support report on the incident concluded, we suggested policy changes and other measures to address control weaknesses that Amtrak management is considering. DEA spokesman Matt Burden declined to comment. Passenger name reservation information is collected by airlines, rail carriers, and others and generally includes a passenger's name, the names of other passengers traveling with them, the dates of the ticket and travel, frequent flyer or rider information, credit card numbers, emergency contact information, travel itinerary, baggage information, passport number, date of birth, gender, and seat number. Senator Chuck Grassley, the senior Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, called the excuse me called the $854,460 an unnecessary expense and asked for further information about the incident in a letter he released Monday to DEA Administrator Michelle Leonhardt. Grassley said the incident raises some serious questions about the DEA's practices. It damages its credibility to cooperate with other law enforcement agencies. Amtrak is officially known as the National Railroad Passenger Corp and is not a government agency although it has received tens of billions of dollars in federal subsidies and is subject to the U.S. Freedom of Information Act. Amtrak's inspector general said the secretary provided the passenger information without seeking approval from Amtrak management or police, but Amtrak's own corporate privacy policy expressly allows it to sell a share personal information about its customers and passengers with contractors or a category of others it describes as certain trustworthy business partners. Under a a joint drug enforcement task force that includes the DEA and Amtrak's own police agency, the task force can obtain Amtrak confidential passenger reservation information at no cost. The Inspector General's report said, under an agreement, Amtrak police would receive a share of any money seized as a result of such drug task force investigation. And Amtrak's Inspector General concluded that DEA's purchase of the passenger information deprived the Amtrak police department of money it would have Received from resulting drug arrest. The DEA does not publish on its website its staff manuals or instructions for employees. 
It is not immediately clear whether the DEA has rules against soliciting corporate insiders to provide confidential customer information in exchange for money when providing that information would cause the employee to violate a company's organization or organization's own rules or policies. Wow. That's interesting. Someone just sent me a copy of the investigation into the death of actor Robin Williams. You know I've been talking about that all all morning. It's 11, 2014, at approximately 11.55 a.m., Marion County Communications received a, 99, a 911 telephone call reporting a male adult had been located unconscious and not breathing inside his residence in unincorporated Tebron, California. The sheriff's office, as well as the Tebron Fire Department and Southern Marin Fire Protection District, were dispatched to the incident with emergency personnel arriving on scene at 12 p.m. The male subject pronounced deceased at 12.02 has been identified as Robin McLaren Williams, a 63-year-old resident of unincorporated Tebron, California. An investigation into the cause, manner, and circumstances of the death is currently underway by the Investigators and Coroner's Division of the Sheriff's Office. Preliminary information developed during the investigation indicates Mr. Williams was last seen alive at his residence where he resides with his wife at approximately 10 p.m. on August 10, 2014. Mr. Williams was located this morning shortly before the 911 call was placed to Marion County Communications. At this time, the Sheriff's Office Corner Division suspects the death to be a suicide due to asphyxia, but a comprehensive investigation must be completed before final determination is made. A forensic examination is currently scheduled for August 12, 2014, with sub subsequent toxicology testing to be conducted. Mary, media inquiries should be directed to Lieutenant Keith Boyd at 415-827-8202. Folks, that's rough. That's really rough. Now, Robin Williams was a flaming liberal, but I had respect for it. I liked some of his shows. I hated his politics. But one can only speculate 
what could have made him commit suicide? Could it have been? Wow. Wow. Today, Protecting Black Life launched its 30-day roll call billboard campaign in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. The new campaign contains billboards located in 10 of Cincinnati's African-American community where Ohio's highest abortions occur. According to the Ohio Department of Health, 2012 induced abortions in Ohio report. Our desire is to inform black Americans in greater Cincinnati as well as the community at large that an ever-increasing number of young women of color are ending up dead following so-called safe abortion. If a role were called, these beautiful, vibrant young women are no longer able to give a response. It's one of those things to continually be lied to. But we have in our nation at this point in time certain elements who expect our votes but then they also expect us to exterminate ourselves as well. And guess what? That's exactly what we do. Talk about all the issues. Why? Because they all come full circle. They all come full circle. You know, play a few clips Talk a little bit about life and I'll be right back. Last year, the Texas legislature passed a bill raising the health and safety standards for the state's abortion clinics. And even though the requirements of this new law are minimal, only about half the state's 36 abortion clinics have been able to comply. The rest have had to shut down and come September, another dozen or so facilities are expected to close. That's when the second phase of this law goes into effect 
and it will require abortion clinics to meet the same medical standards as every other ambulatory surgical center in the state. Naturally, some abortion enthusiasts are describing this requirement as draconian. Now, a report has been released showing that, so far, almost 5,000 fewer abortions have been done as a direct result of this legislation. Naturally, the Texas abortion lobby has spiraled into a state of apoplectic shock over this. To hear them tell the story, Texas women are now on the endangered species list. Of course, this mirrors the dire warnings they issued back during the debate on this bill. At that time, they basically said that if this legislation was passed, we would not be able to walk down the streets of any city in Texas without tripping over the rotting corpses of women killed because they could not find an abortionist. Fair enough. But here's my question. If thousands of women have already been victimized by this cruel and heartless legislation, where are the rotting corpses we were promised? I realize it's still early, but if this is going to be the Holocaust these people predicted it would be, then 5,000 denied abortions have surely produced at least a small pile of dead bodies somewhere. So where are they? And what are the victims' names? Inquiring minds want to know. Most of the time, um, we would see him where the fetus would come completely out, and of course the fetus would still be alive because he was still moving, and you could see, of course you could see the stomach breathing, and um, that's when he would do his, um, he would snip the spine, as they're saying, that um, <coughs> this doctor did, and of course the soft spot was one of the spots that he would um, uh, take the one of the forceps or the, what is it called, um, the dilators and stick it down the soft spot of the fetus's head. When you saw this happen? Oh, yes. Every I think every morning I saw several on several occasions. If we had um, if we had 20-something patients, of course, maybe 10 or 12 or 13 or 15 patients would be large procedures. And out of those large procedures, I'm pretty sure I was seeing at least three to four um, fetus that were completely delivered in some way uh, or another. You see the baby alive. Yes, sir. And him him to kill that baby outside the womb. Yes, sir. And this would be done by jamming some sort of instrument into the either that or or or, soft spot. or, or um twitch actually twisting the head off the neck. Kind of with his own bare hands. And you saw that happen? Yes, sir. Mhm. So he sometimes would twist the he head off. Sometimes he would go through the stomach as well. Sometimes he would do what? He would like force it through the stomach. The the instrument, mm -hmm. the for the is it beer? And like twist it. Yeah. And Another you saw that? Mm -hmm. Anything that he can get to is the fastest. Like she said, the umbilical. He's probably perforating the umbilical cord. Um, I normally saw either the snipping of the spine or the introduction of the instrument in the soft spot of the fetus normally, or twisting of the neck. I remember he would put like his finger. Yeah, or his finger. He'd take his finger and then through the throat. Yeah.
Welcome back to True Radio Presents the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed here on Blog Talk Radio. And keeping in the theme of life, I'm going to play this theme song to True Life Friday's radio called Let Them Live. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Yeah, when I say, Joe. 
That was Let Em Live, the theme song for True Life Fridays Radio. In keeping with my anti-abortion theme, I am going to play the testimony of a former abortion doctor. Good morning, Um, Chairman Franks and distinguished members of the subcommittee. Thank you for inviting me. My name is Anthony Levitino. I'm a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist. I have served in both academic and uh, clinical settings. Currently, I practice in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Uh, I've been, a board, I've been uh, an obstetrician gynecologist for 33 years, and the early part of my career, I performed over 1,200 abortions, over 100 of them in the second trimester, up to 24 weeks of gestation. Imagine, if you can, that um, you're an obstetrician gynecologist and a pro-choice obstetrician gynecologist like I was, and your patient today is 17 years old. She's 24 weeks pregnant from last period. Her uterus is two finger breasts above her umbilicus. She's been feeling her baby kick for over a month. She's asleep on an operating room table, and you're there to help her with her problem. The first thing you do is uh, withdraw the laminaria that was placed in the cervix, the dilation uh, of the cervix that's required for a d and abortion at that level takes at least 36 hours. Later abortions can, dilation of the cervix can necessitate almost three days of preparation prior to performance of the procedure. First thing you're going to reach is for a suction catheter. This is a 14 French suction catheter. It's about nine, 10 inches long. It's about, an in, about three quarters of an inch in diameter. And picture yourself, if you can, placing this through the cervix and instructing your circulating nurse to turn on the suction machine. What you'll see is pale yellow fluid running through this into the suction bottles of the machine. That was the amniotic fluid that was there to protect the baby. If this was a first trimester abortion, when her child would be that size or smaller, you could essentially do the entire abortion with this one instrument. A 24-week baby that we're describing here from last period is the length of your hand and a half again, from head to rump, not counting the legs. Babies that size don't fit through catheters this size. When you're done, reach for a sofa clamp. This is one that I brought along so you could see what we're talking about. It's about 13 inches long. It's stainless steel. The business end on this clamp is about half inch wide and about two and a half inches long. And there are rows of sharp teeth on this instrument. It's a grasping instrument, and when it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. A second trimester abortion at that stage is a blind procedure. You can't really see anything. Everything has to be done by feel. Picture yourself, if you can, reaching in with this instrument and grasping blindly anything you can, and pull hard. And when it finally pops free, out comes a leg that big, which you put down on the table next to you. And reach in with this again, and grasp, and pull hard. Out comes an arm about the same length, which you put down on the table next to you. And reach in with this instrument again and again, and tear out the spine, the intestines, heart and lungs, Head of the baby about that age is maybe the size of a large plum. Again, the procedure is blind. You reach in, being careful not to perforate the uterus, and you have a pretty good idea you have it if you have your clamp around something and your your fingers are spread about as far as they will go. You know you did it right if you crush down on the clamp and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you can pull out skull pieces. You had a day like I had a lot of days, sometimes a face comes back and stares back at you. Congratulations. 
you just successfully performed a second trimester D&E abortion. You just affirmed her right to choose. These procedures are brutal by their nature. In later abortions, when you are preparing that cervix even more extended periods of time, you can have situations where you will get into preterm labor or even precipitous deliveries of these children. The Gosnell situation is a situation that has, I think, brought to the public's attention what we're talking about when we're talking about this level of abortion. It was mentioned earlier that um, the idea that abortion is not is, is needed for, to save women's lives is one that must be under consideration. As a faculty member at the Albany Medical College, I have treated hundreds of women with severe problems with their pregnancies, pregnancies that were life-threatening to them, cardiac disease, diabetes, cancers, toxemia, elevated blood pressure in pregnancy. I'll illustrate with one case that I dealt with personally. A patient came in at 27 weeks of gestation, blood pressure 220 over 140. You know a normal blood pressure is 120 over 80. This woman is moments or hours away from a stroke. We stabilized her, delivered her. She had a healthy baby in the end and she did well as well. But I was able to stabilize and deliver her within an hour because that was required when you have a, an emergency of that magnitude. Abortion would be worthless in that situation. As I told you, at 27 weeks of gestation, it would have taken at least three days to even prepare her to be able to go through the procedure. And this is an important point when we talk about abortion in terms of saving women's lives. I appreciate your attention. I guess I'll just end, Chairman Franks quoted President Obama earlier, I'm going, to, I'm going to quote him one more time. He said recently, if there is just one thing, one thing that we could do that would save just one child, don't we have an obligation to try? Thank you. And welcome back to the Visible Conservative. Christians Unleashed here on True Radio presents. Take a few more minutes to wait for someone who I'm expecting to call in to call in, because I'm losing my voice. Getting I'm getting sick. Getting something. But uh, excuse me. Ah, uh, I gotta find a good song. While I wait for wait for my friend to call in at seven.
and welcome back to it always does. Welcome back to the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed here on True Radio Presents on Blog Talk Radio. And I played a series of clips and songs. And I want to thank Lady Michelle for logging in to listen to the last part of our show. But, you know, it's been a lot going on in the world of politics. And we have to continue to make sure we approach things from a biblical point of view. And as it boils down to, you know... We have to we have to understand that everything we do is driven by the word of God. Our lifestyle that we live. Folks may say, Well, there's room for compromise. There's no room for compromise when it comes to throwing the word of God biblical principles out the out the window just because you want to get along. You and I, as believers, as followers in Christ, we have a voice in the political arena as well. There are those who say that we don't. But first of all, my ministry, I'm not getting money from people for my ministry, and I have a ministry, a radio show. So I'm not supported. So therefore, I can say whatever I want because I don't have any type of support, nor have I ever asked for it. Second of all, unconditional love. When you love someone unconditionally, it doesn't mean you don't show them tough love. Jesus loved everybody unconditionally. But when he when he walked into that temple and he saw them turned it into that they turned it into what what essentially was the equivalent of a marketplace. He showed a little tough love. He turned over tables and he made a whip and ran them folks out of his temple. And told him, don't turn my father's house into a den of thieves. What that means is this, folks, is that when you choose to stand on principles, regardless where we may come from, what we may be going through, remember this one thing. We have an obligation to treat people with the dignity and respect that Jesus Christ went to Calvary and died for us. But at the same time, when it comes to dishing out tough love, we have to speak the truth in love. And the truth spoken isn't always spoken in a way that people like it. Oh, you are so mean to me. 
Folks, I know the difference between malicious talk and words that are tough, constructive criticism. Because I can honestly tell you, I've experienced more of the maliciousness than the constructive criticism. So, having said that, you have riots in St. Louis. Reverend Al Sharpton riding in on his white horse to once to once again expose the issues of racial injustice. And we're going to probably talk about this more tomorrow with Ms. Star Parker. But now there's speculation because of the fact that the newspaper has not released the identity of the cop. Not to mention, when you read some of the signs that they put out, these folks wasn't saying it was a white cop that shot that boy in St. Louis because it was not a it was not a white cop. But here's the problem: the news media is trying to frame a very tragic event in a way to once again drive division within this nation. And until they prove it, that boy was not shot by a white cop because if he was, it would have already been out by now. Because you know how the mainstream media works. But what they're doing, they are trying to protect the narrative. The family hired the lawyer that represented Trayvon Martin. Why? Because they're looking for a payday. You have people with built-in biases on both sides of this issue. You have cops, black and white, who have been programmed to distrust minorities and other black people. And you have black people who have been raised that cops are no good. You can't trust them. Okay, folks, what do you call them for if you can't trust them? And I've seen both sides of the issue. But as my saying goes, right is right and wrong is wrong. And now you have somebody's life which was lost. Who knows? Are they trying to cover it up? The FBI is investigating it. And you better believe the sad the sad part about this is that if they can get a political point out of this, they're going to make political fodder out of the death of a young 
18-year-old young man. First of all, all you have to do is get on the sidewalk when the cop told you to not be walking in the middle of the street. That's all. Folks, it's not that deep. But because you're trying to look hard in front of your boy, y'all ignored him. It was a ticking time bomb, folks. Why did that have to happen? It did not have to happen. Did not have to happen. And, hey, Democrats, you can't blame this on Republicans. Ferguson is a predominantly black city. And it looks like there's speculations that the cop that shot him was black. You can't make this a racial issue, even though that's what you're trying to do. And you use the death of a young man to go destroy businesses that had nothing to do with his death. And then we wonder why we can't have nothing in our communities. But I'm going to tell you what my standard is. Standard is the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean I'm, I have been, that I'm walking in full perfection? Nope. Not even close. But I'm not going to use somebody's death to justify. You want to know what I'm angry about? I'm angry about the excuses people have, the excuses that people use. I wake up every day of my life in pain. And no, I'm not on disability, and I don't pop pills. My bones in my body are so brittle that if I lay on one shoulder or if I lay with my ankle off the end of my bed, I will wake up 30 minutes later in pain. Because that's how brittle my bones are. You want to talk about a tough life? I grew up being shoveled from foster home to foster home, some in which I was nothing but a um, business transaction. But guess what? Even as angry as I was, as mad at the world as I was, as full of hatred and unforgiveness as I had, guess what I didn't do? I didn't rob, steal, kill, loot somebody's store, rob, and then cry about how bad I had it. 
I know my life sucked. I get up in the morning and I'm I'm embarrassed because I can barely walk. And I'm only about to turn 40, folks. What's the point of my sharing this story? We all have had it bad. But what you do with your rough life is on you. Black community is so full of hatred and rage. We hate ourselves even more than we hate cops and white people. You know why? Because we've been force-fed the lie for too long that we can't do nothing and that we only get ahead because somebody got to be there to lead us around by our hand. And they sure aren't doing a good job of leading if that's what they feel like they're supposed to do. The truth of the matter is this. The only leading that they're supposed to do, according to their masters, is make sure that we don't lose track of their mode of thinking, the modern-day equivalent of the Negro Project. And the Democratic Party is working that plan to a T. I don't care what you have to say, what you have to do. I care enough about a community that basically treated me like trash, never really accepted me because I know the potential that lies within our community. But we have had such generations that's been force-fed these lies and these crap. You're a victim like you because you black, etc. What was y'all excuse for not liking me? Oh, I can tell you what it was. Because I had a fourth grade teacher, black, taught me to speak properly. I also went to speech class because I had a problem forming my words. So they said I was trying to talk white because I sounded educated. Is sounding educated not using broken English? Well, excuse me. And still today, my cousin, Shannon, Still gets on me when I be silly 
and use um, the word yummy. It's just one of those things. Lady, I see you laughing. But it is what it is, folks. It is what it is. Because at the end of the day, I can tell you this. December 12, 2010, at a little church known as Abundant Life Apostolic Church, God healed me of the deep, bitter anger that I held. Do I still get angry? Yes. But the difference is I don't stay angry and it doesn't consume me. But when it does come to injustice, I do get angry because right is right, wrong is wrong. And what was done in St. Louis last night was wrong. The boy's parents is saying that he was shot execution style, and they're looking for witnesses to co- to corroborate their story. They're seeing dollar signs. That's what they're seeing. They are seeing dollar signs. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to play Lean On Me. And I will be back on the other side of the break. And if anyone would like to call in, the call-in number is 760-542-3907. That's 760-542-3907.
Welcome back to True Radio Presents, your blog talk radio. But I'm the visible conservative, so you know I'm visible. I used to be invisible, but. Oh, man. I can breathe now. My nose was stopped up for a while, but I want to thank my guests who popped in, looking through the listings. Um. Lady Michelle, thank you for listening, and uh, you caught me on the rant because, honestly, you look at the state of this nation, and I'm not afraid or ashamed to say that I came from that, but I'm working towards achieving a goal. Part of my working towards achieving my goal is because of my health. And God's given me tremendous ideas towards that end. But I know that this nation is made up of people. I do my show because I care about people. A life was lost. A life was lost. The story has not completely came out, but a life was lost. And to dishonor that life that was lost, these kids decided they're going to use that as an excuse to write. And it's sick. It's sick. And now they have this fool on on the counter counter, talking about, yeah, we did it because we wanted justice. 
I don't get it. I don't get it. I do not get it. What do you think, Michelle? Do you understand why people do what they do? I have no clue. I have no clue. I don't, Michelle, I'm with you right there because I don't understand the violence either. Why do people do the thing that they do? For listening into my show, is this the first time that you've ever listened to my show, Michelle, or had you been a follower? I thank you because you know what? We're going to be doing things big. Tomorrow, just so you know, at the same time tomorrow, interviewing Star Parker. You know who Star Parker is. I'm going to go out on the limb and say you know who Star is since you're listening to conservative radio, right? And the reason why I can see what your answers in real time is because I put my chat, I put my chat page on my studio page so I'm able to interact and answer your questions in real time. Why, yes, she did. Yes, she did. Star is a Phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal. And I can't say it again. Phenomenal lady. I love her to pieces. Uh, I had the opportunity last year to spend time with her in um, in Chicago. Not Chicago, uh I had opportunity to spend time with her in Washington, D.C. at our Urban Policy Summit. And so also, Michelle, I want to ask you, are you a conservative or just kind of more middle of the road? What would you – what would you – how would you classify your political leanings? I like that, a solid conservative. See there, I'm a solid Christian conservative, and I base, you know, I base everything on the principles of God's word. He said, you know, where Jesus said, two new commandments I give unto you. First, to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And second, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you truly care about your neighbor, you will tell them the truth. But then there also comes a point in time, there comes a point in time um, 
Wow, that is awesome. So you so you were career military. Did you serve Army, Navy, Air Force, or Marines? That is cool. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am, for your service to this nation. I am always I'm always blessed when you know I'm always blessed when just I I love the military. I love our military. And you know, even people may want to throw up the faults and the flaws and all that stuff, but at the end of the day, our military they're the backbone and the strength of this nation. And my big sister has logged in. She'll be calling in here in a few minutes, and we're going to be chatting. But Lady Michelle, this is my uh, the young lady in the chat room with you. Her name is Babette Holder. She she's a phenomenal, phenomenal Christian conservative. Has a phenomenal blog called The Last Civil Rights. And um, she, uh, you can look it up. I believe it's at the lastcivilright.org, phenomenal blog. It's a blog that was founded by um, conservative black women. And um, she just, just great, just great. But um, Babette, I'm waiting for you to call in the last few minutes so we can chat about just different things. And Michelle, or Lady Michelle, if you'd like to call in as well, the call-in number is 760-542-3907. And there she is. Hey, Thomas. Hey, big sister. How are you? Hey, Thomas. I'm doing great. How are you? Can you hear me okay? I can hear I can hear you awesome. I um. I've been I've been talking about a little bit of everything. Played some pro-life clips there because I started to get really stuffy and went on a sneezing attack. And then Lady Michelle called. <laughs> she um, logged into the chat room, so we've been kind of chatting back and forth through um, through the chat because I have chat in the studio, so I'm able to see her questions real time. But she served their nation, our nation, for 20 years, and it's awesome when you know when you have those kind of individuals listen to the show, you know. But um, right. But that I'm still blown away by uh, you know just this whole situation in St. Louis, and my cousin Shannon made a good point. A life was lost, and you now have, you now have Al Sharpton. If you really think about it, think about this for a minute. You haven't really heard Jesse Jackson say anything about it. You haven't even really heard Al Sharpton say anything about it. And the reason being is because he was not shot by a white cop, which in the bigger scheme of things, it shouldn't matter the race of the cop. Don't you think? 
No, it shouldn't matter, Thomas. Um, but, you know, I was following this. I saw it all start to really explode on Twitter last night as the looting and so forth happened. I believe it started off as a peaceful vigil, which I had, you know, mm-hmm. checked in and looked in on social media, on the pictures and so forth. And there was some videos on Instagram. And then all of a sudden it, it just exploded. Well, Jesse Jackson, uh, I'm sorry, Al Sharpton, let's start with him. He right. had issued a, a press statement that he was going to be in Ferguson County, St. Louis, um, I believe as of today. Um, he was going to be on the way. But in the meantime, I'm looking at his social media. He hasn't said much at anything about this whole incident at all until the citizens themselves. Right, and we know it just really happened, but he didn't say anything until they started making media. He issued this little press release, but in the meantime, I'm looking at his social media. He is tweeting about his talk show. He is tweeting about um, receiving the 365 Black Award from BET, but nothing, nothing else from there on. You do understand now, why now, right? Babette, well, I understand. I, I understand. Well, I have my own theory as to why now, but I'm also very curious as to, you know, typically the identity of an officer who does a shooting is made apparent pretty quickly. Exactly. Made exactly. everything. So, exactly. I mean, I don't think him and Jackson want to really be involved in this one because this is a hard one here, but I heard it was a black officer. You said you've heard it was a black yes. police officer, so. Yeah. And it's and it's crazy because the whole thing <laughs> I can't the I don't really I I really can't wrap my finger around it Babette, because it doesn't matter. Here here's my thing. It would have been as simple as when they told him cuz his best friend testified Babette, that they were walking in the middle of the street, middle like yellow line, middle right, of the street. Right down the middle of the street, yes. Him and a friend, they were walking. I believe he had, they had left his grandmother's house. They were walking down the middle of the street and from the accounting, and this police officer rolled up on them, told them to get on the right. sidewalk. Supposedly a dialogue was exchanged. He went to go arrest him. And the, that, the struggle was, depending on which side, the police department says one thing, the witnesses on the block and his friend says he shoved the cop to run away. He wasn't trying to get his weapon. He shoved him, and then he was running down the street, and he yelled something about, I, I, I'm trying to remember because there's so many, I've been following so much of this comment. Uh, on all the sites that I can, more so than just media publications. But they said, you know, he had his hands in the air and he shot him. But, uh, you know, his friends are saying he was shot right 
Now, one accounting said in the car. Another said when he was right outside the car door. And then he took off running and he went down. And that's why when they were protesting, they had their hands up in the air. Shoot me, shoot me. If you've seen any of the videos and the recordings from the live videos of their protests, they had their hands up in the air, the adults, and that's what they were saying. Like That was last night. There's plenty of those videos on YouTube, Instagram, and Vine. Um, wow. I also think there's a, there was an alderman, um, and I'm trying to think of his last name, alderman for the area, I believe it's French. He picked off a lot of the, a lot of people are saying he really um, helped aid in the bed in the um, hysteria of the events last night and yesterday. I noticed that some people on Twitter was going after this alderman because it just seemed like he kept fueling the more hype people that were out there that were looking for a reason to start trouble to begin with. Not those oh, who wow. wanted to have the peaceful. But yes, there is accounts of him, and and he is actually now one of the main sources that everyone is going to and looking. He's got a whole collection. He's got a blog out there with a timeline of events. Of course, he doesn't mention any of his bad tweets and Instagram comments coming from actual residents in Ferguson. So um, right. that's something that right there, and this is an alderman. I find that despicable because this this oh. was just very destructive, dangerous. I think there was teachers identifying looters, uh, literally on social media. There was teachers saying, I know who that is. That was a student of mine, and and like I said, last night actions only caused more arrests during the evening and today, which is building up more animosity and anger. It's a whole keg sitting there. Right, right. And that's that's the whole thing, Babette. That's the whole thing, because at the end of the day. All you have to do is know the reaction. Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson to know what's going on. And I'm I'm curious as to why why the parents went out and hired the lawyer from Trayvon Martin case. Well, because they feel that the shooting was not justified. Well, you know that he's the hot trending lawyer now. You know, they had called for the NAACP and, and other, uh, well, no, I believe it was the Crawford family. This was another thing I had been talking with you about another time, Tom, is that just recently the, the gentleman with the last name Crawford who was shot mm-hmm. in the Walmart store. Right. Was uh, messing around. Yes. So his family called the NAACP, and I believe that a mention of Trayvon Martin's um, family attorney was mentioned it because you know he's the hot trending attorney in that, and people typically do that. They go to, you know, they see this as a um, a racial injustice. Uh, they said that you know they're tired of the police and, and killing and shooting black people so much more quicker than they would a white person. Right. So they're going to go with those that they feel can make best make that case for them and win in the court of law. 
same as they call the same people such as Sharpton and Jackson to come out and advocate for them. And, you, you know, if they were so effective at this point in time, don't you think some of this stuff would have ceased and desist? Right. Exactly. Exactly. All, all I know is that one thing that really bothered me last night with all of this was um, on, on the fastest news spreading site there is, which is Twitter. It comes at you so fast, and so many people join in, Tom, is that, you know, at first you're kind of, I was sitting there in shock, like, what? And then you go to verify, you as you're verifying reports, you know, I'm trying to pull up my scanners and pull up a, a St. Louis, uh, Ferguson County area of, um, what do you call it, radio waves, so I can listen in on my scanner and so forth, just to hear this story about this um, convenience store that was set on fire, that first they looted it, then they set it on fire and so forth. Yep. What I found disturbing during a lot of the tweets was a lot were say conservatives slash Republicans didn't join in on this until the looting and the news. And I remember I responded back and, and said to some, this is, let's not make this political right now, as well as racial. It's humanity and it's, a, and it's a injustice. Exactly. I said, let's I stay focused on the facts, whatever the facts are. Um, and and, that, and that's some, a lot of people actually agree with me, which was surprising, you know. And a lot of people, you know, I would say are, are, are liberals. They aren't conservatives, you know. They came in and agreed. And a lot, and some right. of them were started, you know, they were tweeting, "Hey, you know, this is taking the focus away from Mike Brown with all the looting and the crime." And I agreed. And I said, you know, the media is now focused on this. Not your issue, not not the death of this um, young recent high school graduate. If it was right. you know, a, a wrongful shooting by a police right. officer, so I you know it, it just becomes. I understand though in people's anger and frustration and um, grief, even for some, that it's easy to lash out at others, but it doesn't put the focus where it should be. And then I have to agree, sometimes conservative media won't even touch or cover certain issues, and I have an issue with that. No one says you have to be biased to cover a story. You don't have to take a side. But you can at least make people aware, hey, there was this shooting of this 18-year-old. We're not sure of all the circumstances. But this is something that's going on in St. Louis, Missouri. Who are the players? How does this affect it? Has any of their representatives, you know, such as an alderman or someone, addressed this issue? It doesn't hurt to do that. Whatever happened to that type of um, media reporting, I wonder. I actually asked Connie Eller um, yesterday, the the United States representative for the St. Louis area, a black man, Democrat, has not said anything. About this, William Lacey Clay is the representative from the St. Louis Ferguson area. That's his district. He has not said anything. I looked, I googled it to see if he had said anything. He has not weighed in on it. Okay, 
this is my point, and this is what ticks me off. If this was a white cop shooting up black kids, you'd have been all over it. So you're saying the the loss of life of this young man is less important because he was shot by a black cop. If if that's for sure, and I agree with you, Thomas, on that, but I'm also saying regardless of a child's race, if we have lawless law, peace, what's supposed to be peace officers right. out there or, or things like this, why isn't the right also at least at least put a blurb in? I've seen blurbs in, in conservative publications on all kinds of little things from Michelle Obama's dress is ugly, you know, that type of thing. And right. I'm like, okay, well, choose not to read it or whatever. That's their concern. But media, and I'm not I'm meaning to bash conservative media at all, but one of the things I find, as you know, Thomas, I do a lot of outreach, a lot of outreach engagement. And, and in order to be someone who is outreaching to uh, bring diversity within conservatism to say, and, and, and you know, to look at and vote with your values doesn't mean every Republican out there, you know, someone would want to vote for, but to, you know, bring them in. We have to engage also at the same time and look at all these issues. And you don't have to make it a racial issue, but I've been watching, you know, I, I just heard of this one when it started breaking, but I've been watching the news on this Crawford one and following it very closely and I don't know what the fear factor is there on that case. Just to say anything, one thing. Did I lose you, Thomas? I got storms coming oh, in the yeah, area. From my... No, I, okay. I got my you. I'm just sitting in here. And out here. Okay. Well, I got you. I'm just wondering, like, See, because I've never even seen anything written about the Crawford case until you said so. So what that said to me. I I know that. Yeah, because what it's saying to me, it seems like the only, like, in cases like that, they keep it in their region. But if it, oh, my gosh, I don't understand. A A life was lost. If you cannot understand that a life was lost, I don't know what else to say. And we as conservatives, you got to also remember, um, the the Republican Party was founded on, you know, on the backbone of protecting life, freeing the slave. And, and it's like something I wrote about, and I'll say this, we have the legacy. We need to get back to the principles on which this party was founded, and that is life is precious. We love our country. We respect and love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And those are things that's no compromise. Life, well, God, life, country, family, those things are precious but any more because of the establishment 
they've gotten so far away from what the party was about that essentially they're trying to mine black votes. Right. Right. Yeah, and, 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 you know, it, it's hard to engage and remind the black vote, though, of their basically fundamental conservative beliefs and values. Because, every, you know, one, they want to point a finger and say, well, you guys have discuss or address our issue. Huh? And, you know, when you're talking to them, well, what are your issues? Well, for instance, racial profiling. I don't hear that a lot out here. I, I'm in Illinois for those that don't know. Um, I, sometimes they talk about, even those out here, especially I think those out here in the suburbs surrounding the city of Chicago. And, you know, when I try to tell them, well, you know, profiling racially is unfortunately not only just for blacks, but it covers a whole sweep of minorities, and it's not only just the police that do it. You know, I tried right. explaining that to them and engaging. You know, I've worked for many years in the retail industry myself, and I know for a fact that security personnel have a specific list and, and certain types that they watch and look for that they immediately are supposed to focus in on when they walk into that store. And it, it's a shame, but it's, it's a matter of fact. So meanwhile, while they're watching the young Asian child over there, you have uh, Sally and her girlfriends over here stealing. You know, right. there's also an issue based up on gender. So I try explaining them to that. It's not just race either. It's gender. It's, it's, all, it's a variable factor. But I, it's not to say, excuse it, that it doesn't happen. You right. know, but when when they see that the news or the media that they consider predominantly is to sort of right, creative side of right, is not even just running a byline on some of the issues or news that's going on, then they want to right. say, we don't, but you know what, Thomas, it works both ways. I do tell them, I said, well, I don't expect to click open um progressive today or Mother Jones or anything and see anything that, you know, is going to be highlighting a a concern or ill or issue. I'm not going to see an article in there calling for the resignation or lawsuit of President Barack Obama as I would if I was to open Breitbart. Right. Hold on. (laughs) Hold on just a second. Hold on just a second, Babette. Hey, everyone. We're coming down to our we're coming down to our last um, 16 seconds of the show, but I want to definitely invite everyone back tomorrow at 6 p.m. Central Time because we're interviewing Star Parker. Also, Babette will be back tomorrow, and we'll continue this discussion. So everyone who called in um, 708 area code, definitely come back tomorrow because we're interviewing Star Parker. And just to let you know, I'm working on getting Pastor Raphael Cruz as well. So um, while we can go a little bit into archives, let me see who I got here at 731 area code. 731 area code. Who am I speaking with? This is Ricky Herschel. Hey, Ricky. How are you? I'm just wonderful. Just calling in. uh... Uh, just uh, just happened to see it on Babette Holder's uh, timeline and 
thought I'd call in and see what we were talking about tonight. Oh, well, we were talking about the riots in um, in uh, St. Louis, and the uh, show mm. just ended tomorrow. Sure, you definitely call in because we're interviewing Star Parker tomorrow, and uh, we're going to get her um, get her perspective on what's going on. And okay, it's going to be the show's a going off. Huh? Yeah, the, the show. Going the show. Yes, we uh, we're in we're in archive time now, kind of. You're, you're but, uh, actually being recorded for archives right now, Ricky. But as far as live tomorrow, I'll put it up on my wall, and do join okay. in tomorrow with uh, for Star Parker. But anything you want to say for the archive recording, like Thomas's archives are easily shareable. Um, real quick, we're yeah, they talking are. about that. It saves the whole right. show. Yeah. All right, then. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely call in tomorrow. Uh, but I just wanted to say a lot of these, if you wanted a quick comment, um, it just it seems to me that a lot of these rioters and looters in St. Louis, uh, they probably don't even know what they're rioting or looting for. Uh, they're probably just looking, they were, a lot of them are just probably looking for a, a reason to, for civil unrest and to, to steal and taking advantage of this tragedy, and that's uh, that was my comment. Well, thank you, Ricky. Do get back though with us tomorrow. Go ahead, Thomas. Hey, are you guys still there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. I'm... Okay, I thought I lost the bet. Oh, um. Tomorrow we're going to have Star Parker on, and I just I want everybody to call in. Make sure y'all spread that around because uh, it's going to be a really powerful show. And then me, Babette, and probably some others, we're going to continue our uh, discussion. So. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely call in tomorrow. Right. Uh, tomorrow. You guys have a good night. You too, Ricky. Bye bye. Bye bye. Babette, you still there? Did I lose my sister? Well, I guess I lost my two callers. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Visible Conservative Christians Unleashed here on True Radio Presents. Tomorrow, tune in for our interview with Star Parker of Cure. It's going to be a phenomenal show. So I'll talk to you all later. Have a good night and God bless.